0: Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The Mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. everybody and welcome. I feel privileged um, to represent mikvah.org this evening. I, my name is Hasi Rifkin. I'd like to encourage you all to join our social media in order to know about all upcoming events. Uh, many of you have asked for a halakh review to take place online and, and please let you know that we will be having one beginning in two weeks from now on Wednesday night. To catch up on all the details, follow us at my mikvah, Facebook mikvah.org or join the broadcast at 732-534-2948. I'd like to just point out a few technical points for tonight's webinar. Sorry, excuse me. When you, on the bottom, you'll see a chat. Chat means you're chatting to me. So that's if you want me to know something, Um, whatever it is you want to know. I only see your name if that's the name that you have yourself listed as. Um, But we have another option. And you see over here, because it's a webinar format, there is a place called Q&A. In the Q&A box is a great place. That's where you should please um, post your questions. When you post a question, you have a choice to post it with your name or to post it anonymously. That is your choice and that the panelists will see. So Devorah will see that and Ethel will see that and I will see that. So those are your two choices of, of how to uh, communicate with us. The Q&A box is for questions and the chat box is for anything technical that you want to talk to me directly about. So. Um, I'm not the host for tonight's, fr- I mean, I'm the mikvah.org host, but I am pleased to welcome to the screen Etzel Horwitz, who has done so much for the community in helping women know about all types of resources and accompanying women on fertility journeys and really um, making knowing what's available to help. So Etzel, please take it away. Thank you. Thank you, Kalsi. Thank you mikvah.org for creating
1: a spa- space. Welcome. A sisterhood, they call us—a unique sisterhood. A sisterhood handpicked. Yes, we have been handpicked, chosen for a journey that we were not given the itinerary for. We don't know where we are going, and we don't know the stops along the way. It almost feels like a a couple of parshas back. We don't know how to pack for the trip, and we wouldn't even know what season to prepare for. Our suitcase comes with us everywhere, and I mean everywhere—through the highs and the lows—and. Even if we left that suitcase outside the door, you can be assured that no one would come and take it. When the unpleasant parts of this challenge arise, it can get grueling, like that suitcase is just full of mud. What about if we decorated that suitcase, adding another gem for our every smile, every bridge crossed, every victory, and every choice we do have to own our own happiness moment by moment. It's tough, it's a lot of work, but can you imagine Instead of holding a battered suitcase, it could be worn as jewelry with our heads held high. How much prettier would that be? We all have a different story and a different route on this journey. And some days, the depth of pain can be unimaginable. And for some, that pain seems to have no end. However, we hope tonight you will feel inspired, validated, supported, and loved. That you will walk away charged to find more happiness and connection. I am honored and privileged to introduce our return presenter tonight, Mrs. Devorah Entin. Devorah is a licensed therapist who specializes in perinatal and reproductive mental health, inclusive of infertility, pregnancy loss, and perinatal mood disorders. She is an adjunct professor at Wurzweiler School of Social Work and consults nationally about compassionate bereavement and reproductive health challenges. Devorah maintains a private practice focused on maternal mental health serving New York New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. We look forward to hearing some practical advice as we navigate creating intimate connections along the journey. Devora, welcome.
2: Thank you so much, Etel. Thank you, Chasi, for welcoming me back. It's always a privilege to have this opportunity to share, to talk, to discuss. And every time I present, I learned something new, some other facets, some other angle, something that I went. Oh, I didn't. I didn't think about that perspective, and I think that I want you to know that you contribute to this conversation because I actually um, will take that knowledge into the next room, into the next therapy room, into the next speech room, into the next kind of just lived experience room. And so I thank you for the questions, for the for the willingness to create this space together. So tonight we're talking about it's a part two. Um, it, we're talking about intimate connections. I'm going, sh- I'm going to share my screen. We're going to work off of the PowerPoint. Give me 10 seconds to start you off here. And I want us to just think about like what is the definition of intimacy? So you know, we don't we're not exclusively talking about the intimate physical relationship between a husband and wife. We're talking about something really a bit broader. Um, We will talk, and yet it really does weave in to what happens outside of the bedroom is going to influence what's happened inside the bedroom. And of course, what's happening inside the bedroom is going to influence what happens outside of the bedroom. But when we talk about the term intimacy, we're talking just a general definition of some close familiarity or friendship, a closeness. It also means the intimacy between a husband and wife. But if you notice, it's not exclusively talking about physical that there's something about intimacy that exists between two people that can create a very deep and meaningful connection, that there's something greater there than just a friendship, it's something more. In theory, it's something that can have a, you can have an intimate relationship in a non-physical way with a girlfriend, a man can have it with a chavrusa, we can have a relationship that has many different levels and layers. It, what, there are kind of four aspects of intimacy that we will touch upon in different ways. Emotional intimacy being probably the biggest one that without emotional intimacy, we become particularly challenged in our married lives as well as in our, our um, personal and physical lives. We talk about intellectual intimacy, that ability to converse with the other person in a kind of matching myself intellectually that I can have conversations and share ideas and share thoughts and um, experiences that I wanna discuss with that person. Experiential intimacy is that I have two things we have this shared experience, something that happens that maybe is just between us or between us and just a few other people, but there's something close that happens just between the two of us. You know, I think about that in, in a particular way, very often you hear with people. Um, I know when I started dating and that was a long time ago, but when I was dating, it was a feeling of like, I didn't wanna tell people what we did, or where the date was, or what we talked about, because part of the growth of the relationship between a, 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 a potential khasan and kala is the intimacy that begins to grow between them just by sharing two things that are precious between just the two of them. So experiential intimacy, and then there is actually this idea of a spiritual intimacy. I got an idea of I'm gonna define that for me as I can share a spiritual experience with another person that I feel may be elevated, that I share a hashkafa, that I share um, a divrit Torah that inspires me, but more importantly, that I feel like we have this shared, beautiful, spiritual experience in this world. And it's not always beautiful. Sometimes it's hard, right? But that there are these many different layers to intimacy that a person experiences as they are in a married life. So... Breaking it down, I think, is important because I want to think about what do I need to do in order to create intimacy? It doesn't just happen naturally. It's not like, oh, now I'm married and we have an intimate relationship. I may have an intimate physical relationship with that person potentially. I may have challenges in my physical intimate relationship. But intimacy on a broader spectrum takes actual energy, effort, work, attention, there's responsibilities there. Sometimes young couples, newly married, even people that have been married a little bit longer than newly, um, may actually struggle with this idea of creating relationship. Maybe they didn't have a good model in their upbringing. Maybe they were outside of their home for a long period of time. Maybe they, meaning maybe they went off to yeshiva since they were in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, and they never really were raised in a home where they got to see what it means to create connection between a couple and as 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 adults. Um, and they maybe didn't, doesn't, don't really know what a healthy connected intimate relationship exists, between what that could look like that could exist between husband and wife. So what are the things that we need in order to create this kind of intimacy? We need time, okay? We're running in a hundred different places, but we need time. We need intention. So I need to not only attention, but intention. I am creating this relationship with, with Kavana, right? With an intention, that there's an intent here to create something meaningful and powerful between us. I have to have commitment. Now, commitment, I think to me, takes kind of different layers. So I can have, I I can be committed, but what if my spouse is not as committed? I can have a commitment, which means like, I'm willing to give it a try. I mean, I hope that it works out, but like, I'm not necessarily sure when it gets hard, how do I handle that? How does my, how does my brain handle things that are tough? So I have to have a commitment to push through the harder things that exist in our world. You know, I, I think to me, we talked about, you know, so often we'll talk about, um, um, like negotiation and compromise, right? When you're dating, oh, we talk so much about shidduchim and compromise, compromise. I had no idea what that word meant until I got married, right? And it actually had a completely different experience for me than the way it was described when we were in date. We were dating or, you know, taking our Haye ha classes, right? It didn't mean the same thing when I was married. Compromise actually meant, I actually have to do something that I really maybe don't want to do or that I don't feel 100% is um, something that's comfortable for me. Or I'm doing something exclusively because it's the right thing to do for the relationship. Compromise means a lot of different things. And I have to have a commitment in that relationship to say, in order for me to create an intimate relationship with this person, I have to be committed to it 100%. Okay. I also have to have a plan. Right. So where do I come up with that plan? Maybe I get guidance from somebody, maybe somebody tells me, maybe I take a class, maybe I take some information from a class that I learned online here. Um, I have to have a plan how to create this intimate relationship. It doesn't just happen on its own. And then I think it's important to acknowledge that I also have to have a partner, right? So if the partner that I'm married to is not a hundred percent giving me the time, the intention, the commitment, or the plan, it's not committed to the plan or even involved in the plan, I don't really get to do this creating emotional intimacy alone. And unfortunately, sometimes in relationships, we do have one partner who's pulling the other one forward. And that's not necessarily um, problematic. It's actually pretty normal, but it is a problematic when the other person doesn't respond to the approach, right? So I'll give you an example. I had, I'm working with somebody who said to me, um, you know, she said to me, like, I said to my husband, could we... Maybe we can go out. I don't, he, Her husband they're struggling in the relationship. And so she said to her husband can we, I think we should go spend some time together. Maybe we could just go out and get a cup, an ice cream, a, a coffee, a drink, get some appetizers. And he said, okay, that would be nice. Yes, we could do that. And then nothing happened. And I said to her, you know, the next step is to say, can we go out Wednesday night at eight o'clock? And then I wanna see if he can approach, if he can meet her in that space, offer her the time, the commitment and plan an event together. And she said, but no, you know, it's not fair. I want him to be the one that, you know, we get into that little dance. of like, I want him to be the one who tells me that he's planning the date. And why do I have to be all the ways the one who's doing it? But ultimately I explained that what our goal is to be together. And my goal is to see our goal as a couple is to see, can I approach if I offer, does he respond and vice versa? If he offers, does she respond? That's okay for her to say, I am exhausted, I cannot tonight, I'm so sorry, but thank you for asking, please ask me again tomorrow. It's totally appropriate to do that, but the idea being, if he says, no thanks, I'm going to just stay home, then we have a problem because we don't have a partner in the room. And so we're looking to see when I offer, when I ask, when I engage, when I open the question, does he respond? Does he react? Does he engage? And again, same thing for her. He can offer and she can ask and she can, she can respond, and she can engage and could say yes, or she could say not tonight. Um, but those are the kind of things that we're looking for in terms of creating an intimate relationship and an intimate connection. So what are some of the challenges that we have? Right. So sometimes we have challenges in our lives that prevent intimacy. We've talked about how from a physical intimacy perspective, infertility can be one of those things that can really, really challenge, damage, struggle, create intense increased struggle um, with a couple who are struggling with infertility. They can have a tremendously difficult time with the physical component of a married relationship. But if I just put aside physical for a minute, what is what are other things that happen that impact and prevent or injure or hamper or damage the, emo- the intimacy in the relationship. Emotional exhaustion. Oh, it takes so much out of me to do this, right? I am so tired. I have spent the whole day at my job. I've spent the whole day at my fertility clinic. I have spent travel time hours and hours back and forth to the clinic in, in Manhattan, right? Or I'm just tired because my sister just told me she's pregnant. And there's that emotional exhaustion that can set in. What about that feeling of disconnection? Right. I just don't feel anything right now. I don't feel like connected to you. I don't feel you know, I don't know if you would even use the word romantic, but like I don't really feel engaged. I don't feel connected. It's easier for me to just talk to my friend on the phone than it is to engage with you when you just came home at night and we haven't spent any not much time together. And I just feel disconnected. Um, Maybe I feel resentment. Maybe I'm upset with you. Maybe there's something that you've been doing or not doing that is breeding this level of resentment that I have. And that's going to prevent me from feeling intimately connected to you. Um, maybe I'm in a bad mood. Maybe I'm moody. Maybe I'm just like dysregulated. Maybe I'm struggling with hormones. Maybe I'm just in a bad mood, right? So sometimes I'm talking with women who are really um down, like really, and I'm not talking about depressed as most of them, just saying that just this, their mood is very down. They're down on themselves. They're down on their circumstances. They're very, very sad about how life is unfolding in front of them and being in a bad mood maybe doesn't offer them the opportunity to turn to their partner, right? Now, I want to be clear. I'm, I, I'm hearing myself tell this story and I'm also noticing, I'm always saying that like, she's the one in the bad mood and he's the one who's kind of seeking connection, I would suggest that it really goes both directions, right? I had a conversation with somebody recently who said to me like, my husband doesn't share, you know, he doesn't emote, he's not vulnerable with me. And I need that. I need him to be, to say to me, I had a hard day too, rather than me always being the one who's like, I'm in a bad mood and I had a hard day. But for her, she's asking for vulnerability because when there's vulnerability, she feels connected to him. And she feels like we are in an intimate relationship and it helps her manage the rest of her life. Right, the rest of the challenge, or I have, you know, or that that concept of like I'm in a bad mood and I will then push away the person who I actually need the most, right? The person who maybe actually could provide me the ultimate in connection and support and feeling safer or seen is the person that I'm pushed away more quickly because I'm in a bad mood. And the other person's like, well, I'm out of here. Like I don't want to do that. Right. So if intimacy is about connection. I wanna think about what do I bring to the room, right? Every time I walk into a room, I'm bringing something in. I'm gonna bring in my face. I'm bringing in my smile. I'm bringing in my mood. I might be bringing in my bad mood. Um, I might be bristly, right? I might just feel very uncomfortable. I might be snappy. I'm also carrying that suitcase that Ethel described, right? I've got my, my arms are loaded down with this. Maybe it has some rhinestones on it, but it's still pretty battered and they're really, really heavy right? That I'm holding maybe one, maybe I'm carrying two suitcases. Maybe I even have a knapsack on my back. Maybe I'm carrying the burden of, of, of other things as well, financial struggles or family illness or anything else, right? Mental health struggles. I'm loaded down. I carry that into the room with me to my partner, right? And if the partner is, is, if I, and if I'm a male, maybe I carry in, carry in a, a, a significant heavy load of finances or, um, obligations in community or a feeling of isolation, even more so because I don't have other men that I can connect to or talk to. Um, So I'm carrying this into the room with me everywhere I go. So if I'm trying to create connection with another person and everything I'm carrying is so heavy and is is really dragging me down, maybe I have to notice what I'm carrying into the room. And ultimately, what am I holding? And I'm not only talking about the, the suitcase, even though that muscle has worked out perfectly for me. Thank you. Right. We didn't plan that in advance. But what am I holding? I'm also holding every experience that has brought me into this moment, right? So I'm holding the pain of today. I'm holding the pain of yesterday. I may even be holding the anticipatory anxiety and and fear of the future. Maybe I'm holding not even the reality of the future. I know exactly what the future holds in terms of my ability to have a child or not have a child or create a family or grow a family. I know exactly what that looks like. And I'm holding all of that at the same time. And that heaviness wears me down, right? And I have to be thinking also, what is my spouse holding to? So both of us are bringing all of that into the room and we're still trying to create connection. So how do we do that? If we're both loaded down. How do we do that? So I do want to intersperse in the lecture like I did last time. I stopped for some questions that I feel kind of either kind of sort of apply or apply enough. And we'll pause in that and then we'll continue going. So, Life seems so routine. We have our fertility diagnosis. And as of now, it's not promising, though there are lots of ups and downs. It's just the same in and out day day by day. It's so easy to both get busy with our own stuff. What can we do to focus more on each other and with each other? And I, I think about that idea of what do I carry into the room? But sometimes couples end up in two different rooms. He's on the couch watching his, on his iPhone. She's in her room watching Netflix or something else, right? A movie or not, or YouTube clips, or maybe she's listening to a sheer every single night. She's very, very special, right? But she's in her room watching something or listening to something or schmoozing with her friend in another country. And he's in his room, maybe he's learning at the table and they're not connecting, right? So they're, what she describes in the question, it's very easy for us to get busy with our own stuff. And even the busyness is actually part of the distraction from the connection, right? The busyness, we tend to say like, but I'm so busy and we have to really question, what am I so busy with? Like, And is there an opportunity for me to put down some of that busyness in order to create connection? And I actually think that all couples are doing this. This question can apply to a couple that is struggling with fertility and struggling and or struggling with just general relationship stuff. Like it, I think fertility challenges kind of layer an additional Um, frustration and also an additional, obviously heavy load on top of the couple. But many couples, if not most couples at some point are dealing with this inability to connect because of being busy, right? And part of that busyness can actually be very valuable for a couple, perhaps who don't have the distraction of small children or the responsibilities of any children. They may have that busyness might be very valuable. Right, it offers me purpose, perhaps not the watching on my phone, but it offers me purpose. It offers me um, doing something meaningful. Hopefully, it creates connection between me and other people. Maybe I have many people who call me for advice or guidance or friendship. Right, so the busyness is valuable to me, but I forgot the other person in the room, and that other person might not even
1: be in the same room
2: as I. So I want us to be considering what can I do to focus more on each other. Go back to the original plan. There has to be a plan there has to be commitment, there has to be time, and there has to be intention. I have to be able to say, this is actually important and I need to talk about this with my partner because that also has to be a partner. So I can turn to my spouse and I could say, um, you know, I'm just noticing we're spending a lot of time in separate rooms. You're on that couch and I'm on that couch, right? And we're not really chatting. And I know sometimes there isn't a lot to talk about, but we're also not connecting. And when we're distracted by our technology, we really do potentially end up with that being our primary intimate relationship rather than the intimacy of connecting with, with another human being. Um, You may have noticed, you know, I know as we're kind of edging our way toward the end of a pandemic, some of you may have noticed that creating connection felt very different after pandemic or as pandemic, as the pandemic lifted, right? As we began to regain access to life, I, I noticed it. I noticed that like It wasn't as easy and chilled and comfortable as it was before. Our world shifted and changed. And so maybe the people that I would be very comfortable just hanging out with, I didn't feel the same way. Maybe I actually kind of wanted to create new relationships with people that, I don't know, maybe had other things to offer the world or other things to offer me, Um, or maybe I had something to offer them. So it became an issue of intention. I want to create a relationship with this person. What do I need to do? The only way I can do it is to spend time with them. And it's a little bit harder to do it if I'm just on Zoom, right? So I want us to be thinking about, if there's this person in my life who I am thankfully married to, who is busy, 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 and I'm busy, 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 when do I create time? So, I mean, on a very practical level, it's a conversation between husband and wife. It's, I want to caution you against the, um, you know, we don't spend any time together. Or, you know, you're always on your phone. Or, um, you know, I don't feel very intimately connected to you right now, right? We're always in two different rooms. Or, um, I feel very lonely in the marriage. I would like to suggest that it comes from a space of, of um, when we talk about a plan, I would suggest that there's partly an offering of a plan. I'd like to spend more time with you. Do you think we can do a tech-free zone time, tech-free time from six to eight at night? Or I'd love to spend more time with you without distractions of just being in our house again. How about if we take a walk at night? Or um, I miss you. Do you think we can figure out some time somewhere this week where we can spend more time together? And I know that there are women on this tonight. I know that there are women here who are going, why does it always have to be me? Now, you made an assumption that it was you who was saying that, but why does it always have to be the woman? It doesn't. But I will tell you that I once heard, and I heard it in the name of, of Rebetzin Kosman, and she wrote a book of the spiral, the something, the something, and I should have looked it up and I forgot. A beautiful book, a little Kabbalistic, a little bit um, kind of creative in its experience of, of Adam and Chava. But one of the things that she just, somebody shared with me that she described, and I, it blew me away. It says that the, you know, the concept being that, that, the, that the side or the rib was taken from Adam, right? And that became Chava. And that Chava's neshama is always going to be the one that is seeking reconnection to Adam. Adam lost the rib, perhaps he's still looking for it, but we know how men are about asking for help. So Chava is the one who's constantly going to be turning back to Adam's neshama to create that whole connection. So there is something in our biological creation and how Kadosh created us that we as women are going to actually be the ones that are primarily continuing to seek engagement with our spouses. When I heard that, it changed the way that I thought about an intimate relationship with a partner, about any kind of relationship with a husband, because So many women say like, but why do I always have to be the one who comes up with the idea? Well, why do I always have to be the one who seeks out his attention? Why isn't he coming to seek out my attention on the couch? He's absorbed in his this or that or there, right? How come I'm always one who's asking for connection? And I'm thinking, well, it's biological. It's in our creative DNA, our creation DNA. So if that helps you, I hope it does because it helped me, Um, helped me understand that there's actually something extraordinarily normal about that experience. That being said, sometimes when we get frustrated and they're saying like, I, it's not fair. And you know what I'm gonna suggest? Like, yes, sometimes it's just not fair. But if I set my eyes beyond the it's not fair and I go toward the, what am I hoping to create? I'm hoping to create a vibrant, intimate relationship with my partner right? With my husband. So, and if I have the capacity and the skills, which I probably do more than him, right? So if I have the capacity, the skills, I attended a lecture, he didn't, right? I am, I heard something from a a therapist, a college teacher that spoke to me, I'm going to act upon it. What's my goal? Is my goal that I'm right? Or is my goal that I'm connected, right? Is my goal that it was his idea? Or is it my goal that I experienced the connection of him responding to me and saying, yeah, that would be nice. I'd love to spend some time with you. Right. And if he can't in that moment, hopefully we train him <laughs> to say, I'm, I'm having today's not a good day, but we try again tomorrow. Right. Thank you for asking. So those are the kinds of experiences where we connect with that other person. What is our goal? How I get there? I may need to be creative. So what do we do to focus more on each other? We pay attention. We come up with creative ideas and ways that the two of us can spend time together that's meaningful, I would also suggest that there have to be certain rules with the spending time. So, you know, depending on what's going on in your life, I would suggest things like finances are not a conversation are not to be included in, in like a date night kind of conversation, not finances, not relationships. Like how is our relationship doing? Not on a regular basis. Um, things like, um, there's another one that usually comes to, I mean, fertility, I wouldn't bring up fertility. And you can say to him, is there anything else? Or she, he can say to her, is there anything else that we want to have like off the table in conversation when we're going to spend quality time together? Because if we don't, then what can also happen is the spouse can be like, uh-oh, like what, what is she going to throw at me now? Like what are we going to have to have a deep, dark conversation? You know, like our DMCs, right? We're going to have our deep, meaningful conversations around something. And he's going, oh no, please let me go home because this is very overwhelming, right? I'm stereotyping Grandly and broadly. If it doesn't apply to you, you can leave it at the door. If it applies to you, you'll giggle and you'll be like, "Oh, I totally get what she's talking about." Right? So take what you can from that piece of the conversation and consider what of that idea. Pick one idea that can help you create more connection. But honestly, the first part is that you even ask the question tells me that you're part of the way there already. Um, So you see my porcupine on the right. So sometimes some of our behaviors really lead toward complete disconnection right? What do I need to do for myself to make sure that my quills are down, right? So sometimes I walk in the room and I'm like, oh, her quills are up. And if my quills are up, he is not approaching. He's kind of going, I'm out, right? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to Mariv, right? Or he's going to say, oh, I I'm I have some work to do in the basement, right? Do we have basements in Crown Heights? Hopefully we do it wherever we are in the world. So, right, like if I'm, um, I'm out because her quills are up, or the same way the other way, his quills might be up. He might be agitated, he might be aggravated, he might be moody, and um, you know, and she as well. So when our quills are up, I want us to be thinking about what do I need to do for myself to bring my quills down? Because nobody's approaching me if my quills are up, they're running for the hills, right? So what do I need to do? Can I name my stressors? Can I think about, okay, if my quills are up, what is agitating me, right? Even just last night, I was dealing with a bunch of different, like, stress, stress-inducing stress issues, nothing horrible, Baruch Hashem, but, like, it was, I, I couldn't even put my finger on what it was that was creating such aggravation for me, but my quills were up, and I made the decision to walk in through, my husband saw it on my face, and he was like, what's wrong, and I'm like, I, I don't even know, like, I'm just very flooded by this responsibility and this responsibility, and this, one. I have this to do, and I still have to put together a PowerPoint for Wednesday night, and... And I said, I'm just, I can't even pin what it is that's kind of putting my, I didn't use the word quills, but I said, like, you know, making me agitated. Uh, I don't know. I'm just very, very stressed. And saying that to a partner, saying that to my husband actually helped me put my quills down. It allowed me to be like, okay, get yourself under control. You're okay. It's going to, you're going to make it through. I'm not sure if it's ABC or D issue. We're going to figure it out. Just like get through it, go to bed, get a good night's rest. And hopefully tomorrow it'll be better. Of course, I didn't sleep the whole night, but it was okay, right? So, but can I name my stressors not only to myself, but can I name my stressors to my partner? Can I name my, my stressors to my husband? Increasing the vulnerability between the two of us. Vulnerability creates connection. So when I express I am feeling vulnerable, if I'm expressing my vulnerability to my husband, and I'm saying, I'm having a hard time, even though I don't know why, but if I do know why and I say... You know, I know tomorrow's um, our early 7 a.m., 6 a.m. appointment at the doctor's office. And I am so activated. I'm tired and I can't believe I have to do this again. And I'm having a really hard day. And if he can say to you, me too, like I know you're having a hard day. I'm feeling it the same way. And I'm glad that we're in this together. Or is there anything I could do for you? Can I bring you a cup? I'm going to bring you a cup of tea, right? Creating vulnerability allows us to put down our quills, to put down our heavy agitation, to help us feel a little bit less alone and ultimately creating an intimate relationship, right? That I turn to him and he turns to me. The two of us are in this together. And sometimes we need to coach each other as to what we need, right? If he had said to me, "Well, what are you so stressed about and Can I fix it? I wouldn't have gotten what I needed, but because he was able to say to me, okay, is there anything that I can do to support you? Or I'm sorry that it's so hard. I see how stressed you and frustrated you are, maybe get a good night's rest. Then it allowed me to feel a little bit more supported. Um, if you tried to convince me that it was no big deal, it wouldn't have worked, right? So when you're dealing with stressful, anxiety-provoking, producing situations, and sometimes it's not even a situation, it's just a circumstance, right? It's not like, well, this is happening as much as it's, I'm in pain. And today was just a hard day. Something triggered me. Something happened today. Something made me feel something heavy today. And if I can turn to my husband and say, I am just feeling it today. There's so many feelings today. And then I train him to say, I'm with you. I see you. Let's have, let's sit down together. Can I bring you a cup of tea? And let me grab it and we'll just sit quietly together. Because you know, the instinct is to fix, right? And the frustration, if we're going stereotypically male, female, the stereotypical response to the male is the male's going, how am I supposed to fix this problem? Because I can't fix it. Maybe I'm going to go to Marv. And the woman is the one who can say, I don't need you to fix it because you can't fix this problem. But if you sit with me, I feel better. And it can be very kind of confusing for the man because in that moment, the male might be going, but I'm not fixing anything. Like, what am I doing of any value? And they don't realize that the just sitting part is valuable. Right. Well, how if you think about it? What is the value of an ashiva home when we go and we sit and we don't say anything? That's the halacha. we sit and we we are quiet? If somebody talks, we listen. But we are not there to say anything to comfort the bereaved. We are just there to show up and to say, I'm with you in this. I will sit next to you in my high chair, your low chair, and I will just sit with you until the next person comes and takes over. Right? And I think about like the power of, of our chacham who understood that the just sitting is valuable and that creates connection. And people who have sat Shiva will share with you that they felt for the first time what it meant to be part of community. And people who are not religious and who have observed you know, um, a from Orthodox Shiva are like, that's what it's supposed to be like. I understand now what's different. So thinking about connecting, creating connection, vulnerability creates an intimate relationship. So I want to introduce an idea called Acceptance Commitment Therapy (ACT). It's a it's a it's a well-researched, well well um, well much-loved therapeutic intervention or just a therapy. It's a perspective-taking. What I like about it is it feels very doable. Um, it also is the reason I feel that it's doable is it's this idea that I don't have to get rid of my negative thoughts. So some of my challenges with like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is there's a sense of like, I need to change my thought. ACT says, I don't have to change my thought. I can accept that I have these thoughts and feelings. And yet, even though I have these thoughts and feelings, I can commit to what we'll call living in our values. And we talk about what that looks like and what that means. But it means that there are moments of choice in our lives. We have a path to take. There are choice points. And I'm going to choose one that will allow me to live in my values as opposed to choosing the other that will allow me to live in my feelings. So I'll give you an example. If I choose, um, my sibling is making a simcha. She is making a bar mitzvah of her oldest and there are five children below and my sister is younger than me and I don't have any children. And if my sister makes that simcha and I'm going to go, I'm feeling so upset and so sad. I know I'm happy for her, but I feel so left behind. And I feel so sad that this is the family that I don't have. Like I look at what could be, and I know what I don't have. And so I have a moment of choice. I'm, I might instinctively say, I am so upset. And so I'm not going, like, I'm just not going. And how could you even ask me to go? You need to understand how difficult this is for me. And I'm, I'm not, I just can't go. That would be choosing to live with my through my feelings. Instead, I can say at my choice point of going to the simpla, I could say, you know, I have a lot of heavy feelings, painful feelings, sad feelings. I'm grieving. I may be even angry. I maybe even am a little bit jealous or a lot jealous. I maybe am feeling um, overwhelmed at the intensity of time passing. I'm okay with all of those feelings. I am choosing to though act in my values and my values say I value family. My values say I wanna be at a Simcha. My values say I'm part of a community. My values say I'm part of a family. And so I'm choosing with all of these thoughts and feelings that will come with me, I am going to choose to live and make a choice within my values. As painful, as difficult as they are, I am going to accept that those feelings exist and I do not need to change them. What I do need to do though, Okay, we'll come back to the, what are your values? But what I do need to do, the slide is out of order. I want us to be thinking about turning up the volume. This was my attempt at finding a a dial, right? Turn up the, turn down the volume of intensity of my feelings. I have very loud, very, very high levels of feelings. Turn down the volumes of my feelings and increase the volume of my values. So I am saying who is driving this bus down this road? It is me, I am the bus driver. I'm going to adjust the dial. The feelings are there. I notice them, they are right there, they are on the bus. And I'm going to choose to dial down the intensity of the feelings and amplify the values driven action. I'm going to go, I'm gonna put on, I'm gonna buy myself a new lipstick. I'm gonna put on a pretty outfit. I'm going to make conscious decisions to take all my feelings with me as I go to the simcha, and I know that I will come home and cry, but I know that I will have lived my life in a way that is value driven. Okay. So I want us to think for a minute what are your values? Right. So, what are your values in your marriage? Right. So, that's like a value of everything out there in my relationship with my family. I'm going to engage in simchas with my family. But what's my relation? What is my value in my marriage if I do not have children? Is my value that even with the pain and the struggle and the intensity of not having a child, do I then punish my husband emotionally? Do I turn to him as a form of support and connection with each other? Is my value, do I have values around supporting him just as much as he supports me? Are my values to create a happy home, even if it's just the two of us? Are my values to be a balas chesed or to be community oriented or to um, get involved in community engagement and activities or chesed programs? What are my values? Maybe my values are, if I don't have children, I am going to go to Eretz every single year because it fills me up spiritually. Or well, I'm going to go to England, France, Italy. I'm going to travel because I can. And yes, I would much rather spend the ticket on taking care of my child. But if that's not available to me, Perhaps one day I will have the finances or I will have no choice, but to have the finances to do a trip, or I will choose to live in a connected way with my husband. Maybe I will continue to choose in my values to say, I'm having a really hard time with you. I really do. I love you very much, but I'm really, really having a hard time with you right now. But living in my values means that I still dive in most days, right? Or what about in my relationship with my friends? I can feel the sadness, the jealousy, the distract, the disorientations, my relationship with my friends, my friends. And then I can also turn over to that and say, but I still want my friends in my life. I need to figure out how that's going to look. And so I live in my values versus living in my feelings, but I don't have to get rid of my feelings. I don't have to disrespect myself to the point where I have to say, I shouldn't be feeling that way, get over it. And I think sometimes that's part of the problem is like trying to convince yourself feelings-wise that you shouldn't be feeling that way or that you it's not a good thing to feel that way or it's not right that you feel that way. Instead, I'm just suggesting you feel that way. Just notice it, just notice it. Okay, so if this maybe is a bit of a better picture of the dials, right? Can I turn one up in order to turn the other down? So here's a question from the queue. After going through some other medical treatment it has taken away my desire to be together. I know this is a medical issue, However, what can I do about it emotionally? I know my husband deserves better, but to to me, there is nothing there right now. So I think this is a a complex question relating to physical touch and physical intimacy. One of the things that I want us to be thinking about is I can also create um, physical intimacy without going to the point of it being... um, it, 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 there's many different layers of sexual intimacy, of physical touch and physical intimacy. And so what I want us to be thinking about is what comes before that actually would be pleasant or pleasurable for both of us. So can I say I, I'm not up for that because I don't have the because I don't feel up to it, but I would like to hold your hand. Or I would like to um, sit next to you on the couch and can I put my feet on your lap? or can you put your feet on mine or would you be okay with if i could you give my hands a massage or can i massage your hands thinking about more of a connected touching that doesn't come along with the physical obligation beyond that and one of the the concepts that we're talking about here also which i think is an important thing to notice and important thing to mention When we talk about the arousal desire patterns between husbands and between men and women—not necessarily um, husbands and wives, but between men and women—we always, you know, we talk about how women tend, not all the time, but tend to have to desire in order to become aroused, and men tend to be aroused in order to desire. It's like a flip in the way Hashem created us. But there's enough research, more recently, that is discussing this idea of actually we can break that pattern that you don't actually have to have arousal, interest, desire as you're talking about. What you can say is, this is something that I know is valuable for my relationship. Not, oh, I have to, and I have no choice. I want to get very clear. But I am acknowledging that I want this cognitively. In my brain, I want this because I know that it's good for my marriage. And maybe I actually do feel more connected to my husband emotionally when we are able to be physically together. And so it's very difficult for me to move from that cognitive space of, I want to, but I can't, to I want to, and I'm going to. So what we've come to understand is that we can actually disrupt that pattern. We can say, sometimes we're going to just do the Nike line, which is just do it. And we wouldn't normally think that that would be effective. But what we have found is that when couples make a cognitive decision, this is what I need to do or this is what I should be doing because it creates connection between us. I don't love the idea of I should be doing it because my husband needs it. I like more the idea of I should be doing this because it creates an emotional, intimate connection and physical connection between myself and my husband, a relationship part. It's an important part of our relationship so that I can then kind of jump past the cognitive, but I'm not in the mood or I don't feel it because of my medication and I can move towards I can figure out what it is that I can do that feels pleasant and pleasurable and connecting between the two of us. Okay. So we tend to get stuck in the but I have no desire. And the recommendation would be saying, can we move along the can t- to the just do it piece and see what happens? If it creates anxiety or distress or emotional, you know, emotional or physical discomfort, then there has to be more conversation um, and more conversation about what can work for me and what can work for you. I would suggest that that's a little bit of a longer conversation, something important. Um, There are therapists that specialize in this area of helping couples create um, um, an intimate physical relationship without, especially if there's something that's happening between them that's physical, like a medication oriented challenge, and really kind of working on that with them to come to a middle ground of what would work for both. But it starts with the cognitive desire. I know that this is important to my marriage and I'm struggling with the fact that I don't feel it. I know that this is important to my relationship and I'm struggling with the fact that I don't have have that interest. And kind of, you know, we can blame it on the medication but we also don't want to stop with the fact that the medication is problematic. We want to stop at the point where we can figure out what it is that a couple can do comfortably, halachically between the two of them that feels safe and vulnerable and connecting on a physical level, which ultimately also, increases the emotional connection as well. I think it's important to just take a minute, like kind of halfway through our slides and say, it's really hard. Like it is really hard. This is hard most of the time. Infertility, fertility challenges is really hard and we can do hard things. We are capable of doing hard things in our lives. We don't like doing hard things at all. Um, Doing hard things sometimes mean that it will be something hard that I'll have to be responsible for all the time, for a long time. And yeah, we can label it as it's not fair. I don't want to, it's not what I signed up for. I never saw this coming, all true. It is really, really hard. And I just think it's important to sometimes validate that with each other, that to acknowledge that with each other, even if I can't fix that, right? He can't make it better, she can't make it better. But the acknowledgement of that is crucial. And so one of the questions uh, was what can I self-talk or do, or, or do you have any other ideas about how I can get through producing a sample for treatment or having to be together at certain times because the doctor said, and it's not what I feel. And I think that goes back to that same idea of I am, I, there's two, two pieces of it. One is on a very practical level of moving beyond the desire and moving beyond the physical, moving beyond the physical desire and arousal into the, and using the cognitive one in order to get going. Um, The other thing is I do think that there's always room for humor. Um, I think it's important because when when humor is at play, everything is just a little bit easier. When we can laugh at the absurdity of having to produce a sample, right? Of having to have something that is exactly at this time, exactly at this moment, and by the way, it's slichos, and I was up till two in the morning or three in the morning where I had to get up at five to go to slichos and like come home. Like, what a mess, right? can we laugh about it? Can we act ridiculous about it? Can we be joyful in the ridiculousness, okay? When we can approach these circumstances that way, it's just gonna make it a little bit less anxiety producing. But I do think that, you know, acknowledging that the the self-talk is, um, first of all, to be vulnerable with your partner, to be like, this is really complicated for me and let allow that partner to say, I know, I wish it was easier. I'm so thankful that you are, my partner, that we're doing this together. I hope this will be the last time. Whatever she may say that helps you supports you, but I think that the 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 self talk is anything that you can do to reduce anxiety. Anything you can do that's and say, I'm only going to stay in this moment. I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow and if it's going to work and if I'm going to be able to produce a sample or not, or you know the timing. I don't know if it's going to be exactly. I'm going to do the best I can, right? And that is all that i is asked of us on a medical level and on a spiritual level. Just do the best you can but thinking about using a compassionate voice versus a threatened voice. So the threatened voice is you have to, you must, you must, you have no choice. The compassionate voice is you can, you will, you'll try, you'll do the best you can, and if it doesn't work, we, I love you anyways, right? Compassionate voice is the one that is going to inspire um, kind of a feeling of safety and security. The imposing voice or the punishing voice is not gonna produce anything positive, right? You might get the job done, but it will produce an incredible amount of of distress associated with it. Another question, I have children with a genetic disorder and was told going forward, I should do IVF PGD. Um, It feels scary to enter this new world and I feel like I can't talk to anyone because I already have kids. And it's not like I can't naturally conceive, I've been told not to. How do people deal, um, let's just say, deal with the emotional side of going through IVF? I think that's what we're talking about all the time, right? We're talking about the emotional, it's almost, I would say there's a lot of it that's practical and medical, but a tremendous component of it is emotional, right? This is not what I imagined. This is nowhere I experienced to be. Um, Support, reaching out to support groups and people who guide you and people who can give you information and ultimately who could say, you're not alone. We've been this path. We've walked this path ahead of you. I'm going to tell you exactly where the potholes are. I'm going to tell you, you know, watch out. There's like, you know, a, a really kind of creepy animal that's dead on the side of the road. Just avoid that side of the road. It's like stay on the left. You know, it's better lighting on the left-hand side of the road. And when you reach out and get the support and you recognize that there are not always answers, but there are people there to guide you, it's so much easier than doing it by yourself. And you know, I think about people who run marathons. Right. How do they run 26 something miles, right? 26.2. How do you do that? Um, I admire it. I think it's crazy, but I admire it. Right. But they all say that the power of the race, when people are cheering you on from the sidelines and calling your name and telling you how amazing you are, and that you're almost there, and here's a cup of water. And do you need me to tie your shoe? Like that makes the race possible that the adrenaline rush of that moment allows you to accomplish extraordinary things like running 26.2 miles. So turn to the right, turn to the left and say, who do I need to get the support from? And yes, while it is, um, you know, it is entering a new world that you've never really wanted to enter. I think a lot of people when dealing with infertility are at this place where they kind of um, are like ostriches. Like they put their head in the ground and are like, we're okay. We don't have infertility. It's not a problem. But like, it's going to take somebody to pick their head up out of the ground and look to the right and look to the left and say, okay, we've just entered, you know, we're, we're entering Africa and I've got to learn the language and I've got to understand where I'm going. I'm no longer just an ostrich in the zoo. I'm actually on the plains and the, I'm out in Africa. I don't know if this muscle makes any sense, but if it works for you, good. Right. So if I'm doing what I need to do, I have to pick my head up out of the sand because I'm fooling myself to think that I am um, everything's okay. Right. And so it's scary to enter that world of actually everything's not okay. And it seems according to the question that you've already begun to understand the world is going to be much more complicated than you imagined to create a larger family. And yet it's going to be emotional. It's going to be physical, physically taxing, get the support that you need because it's so much better when people are cheering your name. So a couple of things I want you to, in terms of with, between the husband and wife, connecting the emotional side of IVF, coping with the emotional side of IVF in a connected way are things like minding each other. Am I checking in with him? Is he checking in with me? Have I told him what I need? Have I asked for support? Does he know how to provide that support? And does she know how to provide that support to him? Can we create a team? Cause it's so much easier when I'm running in a pack, right? Find support from community groups, allow, um, a really, but also allowing the independent experiences as well as the shared ones. Like it doesn't all have to be togetherness. Sometimes it's, I experience my own experience of infertility. He experiences his experience of infertility and we come back and forth. We connect back and forth. Um, we'll let each other know your needs. You know, something as simple somebody was saying, like, I don't really know what to do for her. Like she goes to the treatment, she comes home. She goes, especially I can't go with her, um, perhaps during COVID time or because he was going to Shiva, I'm not sure. Um, he was like, I, I can't, I'm not going with her, I'm not going for her to get her labs, I'm not going to her for ultrasounds. I like, I don't know how to support her. I said, go get a pad of stick notes and start leaving her stick notes on her dashboard and in the bathroom and in her pocketbook. I, I appreciate you, thank you, I love you. I hope today's a decent day. I look forward to seeing you tonight. Just, you know, draw her a silly face, you know, something that makes her smile. So connectedness, that emotional intimacy is going to prompt all the other levels of intimacy to, experience, to be experienced as well. So another question, how to deal with siblings that are friends who don't share that they are expecting and then I, the sibling goes through infertility. Um, suddenly hear that they have a new baby and it's very hurtful to not be told in advance. This is one of those questions where um, I'm gonna have, 50% of the crowd is gonna have this opinion and 50% of the crowd is gonna have that opinion. So one opinion is gonna be I need you to tell me upfront and I maybe I tell her, you know, when she gets married, please let me know before I know that I you know we know you know I know we know we know whatever we, I don't have children, please tell me before you announce it to the world. I don't want to be walking the streets and see you pregnant. So I may be your older brother or sister, but please tell me and I I'm, I'm okay. I'll be happy for you and it may be hard, but I want to know. I want you to tell me. That also requires that you can be gracious in receiving the information. Okay? So the other 50% will say just text me. Don't say a word. I don't want you to see me cry. I don't want to see, I don't want you to have to, I don't want you calling me. Some will say, how could she not have called me? Why did she just text me? And some will say, don't call me. I just want you to text me. I don't have to be responsive to you on the phone. Eluva elu, right? Half here, half there. It's hard, right? Pick one. My recommendation is if it's a close friend, a close family member, sibling, then I think you really should make the phone call. I think you owe it to them from like a respectful place. I wanna let you know, I wanna share with you and they probably figured it out already anyway, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm expecting and um, I love you and I wish we were sharing in this experience together. And I know that this will be hard and I send you a big hug and you don't have to respond and goodbye, <laughs> right? Not quite that abrupt, um, others will not and they'll text or email and say, I just wanna let you know, I know that this is a hard conversation. I wasn't sure how to approach you but I wanted to let you know that I am pregnant and I'm seven weeks along. I didn't, or 15 weeks along. I didn't want you to know before I put on maternity. I'm just letting you know before I put on maternity. Nobody else knows or only mommy and daddy know, okay? You have to kind of, you're going you to have to try it. and you can always say, I may have gotten this wrong and I'm sorry. I don't, well, there's no guidebook, right? There's no guidelines. You have to do it this way. I wish the world created was created with guidelines and the, um these issues. They're not, like we're kind of, you know, bumbling our way through and hoping for the best. And I would say almost like to apologize in advance. You know, one of the recommendations I gave last session was don't cut out articles and give it to them. I said, but if you want, you could slide it under their doors. And somebody brought it to my attention. She said, actually don't do that. Say to me, would you be open if I offered you an article? Is it okay? I read something interesting that might interest you. Would that be okay if I shared it with you? Um, And I thought, you know what? Actually, that is more respectful. Um, and maybe that would work for you in the relationship with that person, but don't ask what they thought about the article and don't say, do you want me to make you an appointment at the doctor that was mentioned in the article? Okay. Here's the article. If you'd like to read it, it might be interesting. I thought it was interesting. I might share it with you if that's okay. If you don't want it, it's also okay. Right. Giving them permission not to respond. And I think that this is kind of the hardest concept to shift from the why to the how, why are we here? Why does this have to happen to us? Why are we facing this kind of struggle? Why is this my life? to, okay, how? How do I deal with this? How do I create marriage? How do I create relationship? How do I create a family? How do I create a life if I do not have children or I do not have the number of children I imagined or I don't have the children with the amount of time in between that I imagined? You know, I was dealing with somebody a a number of months ago who after a really complicated, complicated um, struggle to create a family um, delivered. And her first thing was, but my family member, just had a boy and she had a C-section, uh, an emergency C-section. And she said, but my family member just had a boy and they're gonna be making a shalom, uh, a Pidin-Haben. And I was like, and she goes, I'm just so upset. Like they're gonna make a Pidin-Haben. And I kind of like, didn't act so therapisty at that time. I kind of probably really didn't follow any rules in the book and I was, but it probably was like seven o'clock in the morning um, when she called to tell me that she was having, had the baby anyway. And I said to her, um, hold on just one second. I was like, you just had a baby. Like you have a miracle child, <laughs> right? Like you, what got you into this moment, how this came about, why are we distracted by the, but my family, but my sister, but it's not fair, but how did we get here? And it wasn't the way I imagined and all of that. I said, could we please just focus on the talk list. And I think that sometimes we get distracted by all of the little pieces of what is missing and ultimately, recognizing that living without a child or living without all of the other things that I just mentioned can be very complicated. They can. It can be very painful. I didn't get to make a pidgin haban. I didn't get to make a simcha. I didn't get to make a bris, an, a shamzacha for those that are dealing with secondary, especially. Right. So, like, they have more of an ability to kind of hold on to that idea. But for those that are living in primary infertility, we can't sit anymore in the details. We actually have to kind of elevate beyond that and say, I can't even think about the why and all the things that I'm missing out on. I have to think about the how. How do I create a life now? How do I live my life in whatever this challenge is in front of me? How do I live my life and create a meaningful um, kind of uh, value-driven identity independent of infertility? I'm going to come back to that question in a minute. But what do we do when fertility doesn't feel like a couples issue? My str- my wife is struggling with a history of child abuse and going for medical treatment is traumatic. So, you know, we talked about mental health a little bit last time, but when somebody is struggling with child abuse or, or a physical trauma or assault or physical pain, um, they may not be able to go for treatment, right? We have people that are dealing with infertility that while it should be a couple's issue, maybe it isn't really a couple's issue. And for them, they're not experiencing it as a couple's issue. Last time I talked about the idea of make sure you see them as a couple. It's not just like his problem or her problem. But for this couple, they were his, his words were like, it really is not my issue. We can't move forward with treatment because my wife has this horrible history and it's so painful and I'm so lonely in this experience. Right. So just acknowledging that what I see about this person, each of them, each individually and then together, they have to figure out how to create this life while also holding the pain of infertility and also holding the pain of circumstantial infertility. Right? So sometimes they're like, we talked about reasons why a person could not move forward with infertility treatment. This may be another one of them. And so we we bear witness to it. We acknowledge you, we hear this. Um, And I'm sorry that this is the extraordinarily complicated life that we are living. And then we move to the, and what now? And what now, if this is what I'm holding, if this is what I carry, if this is what I bring into the room, what now? So I want us to be thinking about who am I? Who am I um, independent of infertility? Like I may have infertility, but I am also this person, right? A very wise woman shared that with me. She said to me like, but I am also a an amazing professional. I am also a fantastic daughter. I'm an amazing wife, right? I'm also a person who is a about, about chesed, about chesed, right? Like, I'm not just a woman who doesn't have, it. I'm also a woman independent of infertility, right? So what is my identity? Who am I and who are we as a couple? If I want to create an intimate relationship with this person, I have to create an identity with this person. We have to become a unit, you know? I was, I once saw, um. I'll share their name because it's such a compliment to them. It was Avi Shulman, Mr. Mr. Avi Shulman. He doesn't like to be called Rav, rabbi. Mr. Avi Shulman and his Rebetzin. Um, it's a second marriage. Both of them lost their spouses a number of years before. And we were sitting at a restaurant together, had the, the incredible luck and pleasure privilege of get, knowing them professionally. And then it became a relationship and a friendship. And we were sitting at their meal and Mr. Shulman and my husband are having a conversation. And I see Mr. Shulman going like this. <sighs> And she's blowing on the soup. And then I see her take out. And then, at, and I'm like, I'm watching her blow on his soup. And I giggled. I'm like, you're amazing. And she looked at me and she goes, well, oh, he's so busy talking to your husband. He's not going to remember that the soup is very hot. He's going to reach out, he's going to drink the soup and he's not going to, he's going to burn his tongue. So I'm just going to make sure that he doesn't have the soup. is not so hot for him. I was blown away, blown away. That's a unit. That's a couple who is connecting and talking and having a relationship with each other. On a on an amazingly simple and yet very very holy level, at dessert we had tea and she took out um she took out a little packet of I think probably was Splenda, and she offered and she put some Splenda and she goes oh he doesn't like this sweet and low he only likes the Splenda so I carry it with me in my pocketbook so he has for dessert, you know those are the those are the people that I extraordinarily admire they went through so much pain they've create they had they had history together they had history independently and then they had history together, and I think about like. Who am I as a couple? What will they say about me as a unit? What do they say about me and my husband together? How I treat him and how does he treat me? But also who are we as an independent unit? Independent of having children, independent of not having children. Who are we even though we have gone through so much or who are we because we have gone through so much? I'm facing month after month of going to the mikvah. There's no chance of becoming pregnant again until some miracle drug comes out. I know it's a mitzvah, but it takes so much out of me. It seems so routine. You know, I think that sometimes we have to put in something creative. Like I said to you, you know, with the, with the collecting a sample, we could do things like, we can, we can laugh. When it comes to mikvah, I want us to be thinking about, okay, so know yourself, right? If I said to you, listen, every month you'd get to go to, you need to go to the spa most women in the secular world would be like, are you kidding me? Like really that you get to go to a spa once a month, but we don't see it as a spa because it has so many layers of, of emotion and pain and struggle and frustration. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had to go to the mikvah that my mother-in-law was visiting. You know, there's always something that comes up It's the night of the dinner. You know, there's a wedding I have to go to. There's always something happening. So like, what do I do to make it manageable? right? Is there something I need to know myself? I need to know what do I need in order to, to diffuse the intensity of the experience, right? right? It may not be really focused on the holiness of the mitzvah. It may just be very practical. Do I bring a candle? Do I put on music? Do I listen? put on my AirPods and listen to something while I'm in the bath? Do I um, Do I read a book? Do I take some time for myself that maybe feels a little bit luxurious? And sometimes I just have to do it. Sometimes I just get out of the move past the cognitive of this is really hard and just say, okay, but I just have to do it. And then I do. And then I also have to think about when I come home, can I express my distress to my spouse? Can he understand this was hard for me? You know, this was hard for me. Uh, And I think that there is no magic here, but there can be some creativity here. Come up with something that feels um, luxurious to you, something that you're treating yourself in a special and kind and compassionate way. Maybe you buy yourself a special cream that you put on after the mikvah like a, something on your hands. And before you go home, you just take a minute for you, after you, wash Boston, you put some cream on your hands in the car and you sit in the car for a minute and just focus on the, the feeling of massaging your hands in a kind and gentle and compassionate way. I do this for myself. I do this to keep myself feeling comforted. I'm in pain. I'm hurting. I'm emotional. I'm sad yet again, another month. And yet I treat myself kindly and I massage my hands, right? So just thinking along the lines of, What is the compassionate, nurturing voice that I am entitled to? And can I create that for myself? I just want to mention a couple of questions relating to secondary infertility, then I will stop and get some questions directly. After a few years, we have been blessed with a baby through fertility treatment. I almost want to go right back to try again because who knows how long we'll be next time. Um, On the other hand, I feel I should enjoy this time. How can I know when to go slow and when to rush back? We're in our mid-20s. So, you know, unless there's something that you medically know that it could take a long time like years. I also want you to consider the privilege of just not being in infertility. That there is a moment of breath here that allows you to step away from that label for the moment. In this moment, you have just had a child. In this moment, you are nurturing a baby. And so in this moment, you have no other obligations to the future. And it's a brief period of time in which you may feel that way. So I think first of all, first first and foremost is physical recovery is crucial, getting your rest back and then your rest, your sleep, your eating, your your body, um, exercise, things like that, practical. But on a non-practical level or on a more emotional level, you've just lived a trauma of infertility, okay? Infertility and the infertility experience is identified as a trauma and it impacts me emotionally, impacts my body, it impacted our relationship. Give yourself time to recover from the trauma, process that trauma, make sure that your relationship has survived that trauma, make sure your relationship has survived the trauma intact. Make sure that there isn't additional needs to that relationship or yourself, your relationship to self or spouse in order to get through, get through the trauma in order to reopen that wound as you move into creating another child. Our siblings are back growing their families each year, Hashem has decided ours will be staying at the small size of two for now. I'm so grateful for them, but it hurts each time and it's not getting easier. We are no longer in having baby stage. And each time the extended family grows, it's a reminder that ours is not. So go back to the ACT, right? I see it. These are my feelings. I have complicated feelings when other people have babies. It's hard for me. I might even cry. I might even just be sad for a few days. I might say, oh, I miss that. And wow, time is passing. She's already having another one. And I'm going to allow myself the sadness without trying to change it. And then I'm going to live my life and my values. I'm going to attend to the children I have. I am going to take care of myself and nurture myself and take a walk. I'm going to just notice the feelings because you know what? The feelings are going to be there forever. Forever. you know. I remember when, um, when my youngest child turned 10 and I went, oh like it's been 10 years since I've had a baby, 10 years. I should be totally fine with that, right? Mm, Not so much, right? And it caught me by such shock. I was like, oh my gosh, the feelings are like right there beneath the surface. Like my eyes will get tearful just talking about it because the struggle of infertility and the struggle of creating your family or creating a bigger family doesn't go away. And you will notice that person will have more and you're kind of going, I kind of, my story ended here. From my family was created here. And so I just notice it and I honor it. And I went, wow, feelings Rightfully, me. So shared it with my husband, shared it with a friend and they just listened and allowed it and I'm okay. And even if I cry about it, it doesn't mean I'm not okay. It just means that I have feelings about these things and we always will. After a recent blow in continuing to grow our family, and just taking a really long time coming to terms with it. And my husband feels like we should be thankful for what we have and this is the size family it will be. We are not seeing eye to eye, where do we go from here? Um, again, support, connection, talking through with somebody else, sometimes working with a the therapist could be helpful um, and acknowledging like this is his process and this is your process. You don't have to be on the same page yet. You're gonna process it differently because maybe your life was imagining five more children and his life was like, why are we spending all this energy on the five? We didn't have we just focus on the two we do, right? He's more practical. He's not as emotionally engaged in the five he didn't have. And so he's so practical that he's just like, okay, let's focus on this one. This is what we have. And I think that that practicality can sometimes feel like abrasive to the wife, right? It's like, but you're not listening. And he can acknowledge her differently or better, but it's two separate processes. So get the support that you need in order to continue to reconnect with him beyond that question of creating a larger family. Um, One last question here, we ended up adopting, but we still feel like we are in the infertility club, and yet we don't really belong anywhere. This is a tough one because, you know, I think actually it's one of the hardest things when people begin the process of adoption or um, creating an alternative, like kind of an alternative way of creating a family, they may leave that official world of infertility, but they're still coping with the reality of infertility. Again, who can I turn? And they feel very lost because they can't be in the primary still the group can't be in the secondary. Maybe they can, but like they don't necessarily feel the same way, but yet they're still holding the same pain. And there is a loneliness in that. I'd encourage you to get a group for adopt. There are groups out there for adoptive parents. Um, there are people out there who have already adopted who maybe can support each other in this moment. Um, find connection with other people who can guide you along these emotional paths, but ultimately just notice it. Like we don't have to change those feelings. Like, You're right, you're not in the official infertility club, but if you have those feelings, it's okay to have those feelings. I don't feel like I've left behind that infertility label just because I've adopted, that's logical. And that actually is okay, rather than kind of why do I feel this way? And then I just wanna take a couple of moments for the men. Um, I did sort of mention this throughout, men may struggle with being vulnerable. Um, They may put aside their own pain to attend to the pain of their wife, that's a big challenge. Men also need comfort. They also need emotional intimacy and connection too. And, may, and they may need reminders to engage emotionally. They might forget the value of the emotional connection, which is very often really needed in order to create the physical connection um, and the physical intimacy beyond, beyond um, the, the walls of the living room. Um, okay, so what now? Creating an identity as a couple independent of children creating a purpose beyond be, beyond or before parenting, and who can I use as a role model? You know, I think about like Abraham and Sarah, and I think about all of the Amahos who struggled with infertility. And I think about how Abraham and Sarah created, you know, an extraordinary, they, they created monotheism, right? They went out there and they were Maguire, officially, she was Maguire the women, he was Maguire the men, they were a team. Before they ever had a child together, they had years of teamwork together of we have a purpose and a responsibility in the world to create monotheism, to spread the, spread the wisdom of having one God and teaching the world about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And they created Nishamos in this world together. Eventually, I even heard like a Medrash, which was really interesting about the idea that Abraham did not even daven for Sarah to have a child. He davened to have his own child. He's like, but what about me? And Sarah was actually disappointed that like, why didn't you daven for me to have a child? Um, and part of it, one of the Medras was describing it uh, or it was a commentary, I think it was a Medras, but a commentary was describing like, um, because Abraham didn't want to mess with what she was doing so magnificently, like he, he felt like she had this top kid of being the guy who all the women. And he understood that she was fulfilling the top magnificently and for whatever reason made it just a thought, he had a thought that like, it's not, it, I'm not going to mess with that, she's too good at that, I'll seek having a child for somebody else, you know, obviously we're talking about many, many years ago. Um, but who else can I identify as my, who are my role models, you know, I, and I'm speaking, you know, to a community of many women who are from the Lubavitch community, who are our role models, right? How, we do I have to look much further than the Reb and the revison right? They lived a life without children. I don't know what was going on in her mind. I don't know what was going on, of course, in his mind, but look what they created in the world, right? Look what they created in the world that had a legacy. And so they created an identity independent of having children. Was it easy? I'm sure it was extraordinarily painful for them. I'm sure it was a deeply, deeply difficult experience in their lives. I wish I knew the wisdom of how they did it, right? I wish they had written the guidebook. We don't have that, not that I know of, maybe somebody can tell me, but if we, we, we look at them and we say, they created a life of incredible meaning and there are other Gadol Yisrael who also struggle with having no children. To big leaders and 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 gedolim and rabbis and they also didn't they didn't have children and so yet there was purpose and meaning and a meaningfulness in the relationship between the two husband and wife. Our job is to figure out how to get there. So I hope that there were some points in here that were meaningful to you that that made sense that maybe there's a takeaway and we can kind of um, take something with us into tomorrow and the next day. And hopefully, it could be helpful to each of you what are some of the questions?
0: <laughs> right, thank you so much, Dvora. Okay, that was um, incredibly insightful. I have a few things to, to say before I get into the questions. Um, one of the questions you had on the queue that came from our um, form. So thank you to everyone who posted questions in advance. Those were the questions from the queue and they're incredibly helpful. Um, they were, it is anonymous and we don't know who asked that question. Another member of the audience, uh, mentioned that she also went through IVF for genetic reasons, and if that person would appreciate the support, feel free to reach out to either me at crifkin.michford.org or eto um, at herwitz700 at gmail.com, whichever one you prefer, and um, we can match you up to the person who's offering to help. So that is um, your choice. We don't know who you are, but if you would like that support, um, please step up. Um, another comment from the gallery, um, back in the, um, in the section where you talked about if someone is not in the mood for physical intimacy and perhaps having some closeness in other ways um, I was asked to bring up and I would just like to point out here that please speak to your rub or and for the husband and wife to you know be in touch with each other in order to know uh, what what level of closeness they can have if there is no intention to complete. Um, physical intimacy. Okay. Correct. And that's why
2: I said like halachic, it has to be halachic and whatever that halachic is according to your rav and your, your halacha. Remember holding a hand being physical doesn't have to escalate beyond connection, right? It could right. be just a holding a hand or sitting and feeling a leg against the leg that there can be connection beyond something that escalates beyond there.
0: Okay, great. Um, okay. So Someone will going answer things, but I'm not sure if it's the same person. So I'm going to remind you that when you do anonymous, I don't know. It could be, you could have, I could have 10 anonymous questions. I don't know who's asking. All right. So I'm going to ask it. If you feel like you answered it already, great. And if not, we'll move on. My husband is not good at sharing emotionally, which is hard when dealing with infertility. How could I help him share how he feels if that's not his nature?
2: Right. So I think one of the, the things to consider is to say to him, it helps me if you share how you feel. Um, It doesn't flood me, it doesn't overwhelm me, it doesn't make me feel bad, it doesn't make me feel worse. It actually just makes me feel connected that you trust me enough with your emotions in bite-sized pieces. So if I want him to sit and talk to me and process his feelings about how we're going through, It's too overwhelming. The men's brains don't work that way. Women's brains do. Like we're sitting together. We could talk about the same thing for hours and hours, but what do you talk about? The same thing in many different ways we process. Our our brains work in a form of processing. Men don't. You know, I'll I'll, I'll say to my husband, do you have anything to like add to that? And he's like, I'm thinking. I'm like, can we talk it through? He's like, why would I talk it through? Let me think about it and come up with a solution and come up with a plan and come up with an idea. I'm not sure how we think about it. You know, and I'm like, can we just talk it through please? You know? like but men and women think differently and experience thoughts and, and kind of how we work our way through a problem differently. And so I think respecting that he isn't going to kind of spill his guts to you again and again and again for hours at a time, even though you would feel so loved and so connected and so appreciated if you would do it. But rather what you're asking of him is to say, just share with me, how are you feeling? Can you just, can we just check in with each other, right? Can you just say to me, Was it a hard day it was a hard day okay i'm sorry that you're having a hard day it allows me to be compassionate to you when you block off and you don't share with me i feel disconnected but again making sure that what you're asking for is attainable in small bites right so not the way we talk with our girlfriends but the way that our husbands can handle small bite-sized pieces of of um, of vulnerability
0: thank you i'm going to remind anyone in the audience if you'd like to ask any more questions if you go ahead and put them in the Q and A box, you can click them with your name, or you can click that anonymous box, um, and then we will we will get to as many questions as we can. Um, next question: How can I explain to my husband when he's despairing, which thankfully doesn't happen too often, but does happen, that our marriage has value and that having children is not the end all be all of the marriage?
2: So I think that that's like more than that being a therapeutic question. I think it's a hashgufa question, and I think that. You know, I think that this would be something that I would really strongly encourage you to go to speak to a rav, go to speak to somebody, a mashpia, somebody who you feel can be your husband can be open with and you can be open with and say like, just to confirm that there is value in this marriage and this relationship even without children. I mean, if you think about it, you know, look at the story of 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 Elkanah and Hannah and Penina, right? Like she kept saying like he could say, I'm, I'm, aren't I like better than all the 10 kids you would have had with me? Like you're enough for me, just the two of us. It's enough for me. I do have children through another relationship, but you're enough for me. I care about you. I love you in his own words, right? Like you're enough for me. Wasn't enough for her, but there is no question that the value of a holy, you know, a relationship and marriage is there's no question. There's a, there's no question that there's an ad value and there's, and there's no even words for it to have children, right? And for many, but, but it begins with the marriage, right? It begins with the couple. If you think about it, what about couples that marry later in life, right? They don't have children together. So there has to be something magnificent or precious and holy in just the two of them creating a marriage and a relationship. They, don't, they won't have children if they're in their fifties, typically, right? So there has to be something appropriate and necessary. Otherwise we wouldn't be allowed to marry if there was no possibility of children. And yet we are and we're encouraged to do so. So I think that, that's, that that would be my primary answer to if sometimes you need to kind of reset and reframe what is the relationship and what is its purpose if it's not going to be about having
0: children. Okay, thank you, Dora Next question is addressed to me, so I'm gonna say it and answer it. And that is, will, will we be able to access the recording? Because I missed the beginning. Yes, everyone who registered for the session will be getting an email automatically in 24 hours. You don't need to email me to ask me. In 24 hours, you will get an email with the recording link. It will be viewable for seven days. That's it because I have to delete it from my cloud. There's a limit to how how many recordings you can store. So you got seven days from tomorrow. It will be seven days that you can listen to it. After that, we will post it. Um, it will be on the mikvah.org website. Um, I will discuss with the with, with Devorah and with Etel, whether it will be something that is open for everyone to view or whether it will be a rental like our part one. I'd like to also mention, you know, in the question that you just answered, it was also mentioned in depth in part one, which did take place last year. If you didn't hear part one last year with Rabbi Omen, with Devorah, with, with Rifki Brickman and with Sarah Mraza, if you wanted to hear that session, it is available at mikvah.org forward slash mall forward slash rentals. And um, we did that. It's a rental... It's a very small amount of money. It just makes it that it's not a publicly um, viewable session. It just makes it closed. So whether this will be there or public, we will decide. Um, but it is available for everyone who did register for the next seven days. Please make the time to watch it during that time, because after that, I will be deleting it. Okay, um, next. What can I do if my husband won't go for treatment? Medical treatment or emotional treatment? Uh, I guess. If- okay. Address it from both ways. Uh, and it's
1: probably to-
0: me- I would I would suggest health. it's probably
2: medical. Okay. Um, yikes. So, you know, usually I would like to suggest that it becomes mental health, right? So if he said, if we know that medical is what's needed and there isn't something that's preventing him halachically from going for medical treatment, I just want to put that out there, then it's purely an issue of fear or it's purely an issue of I, I can't bring myself to do it or I'm embarrassed or I'm uncomfortable, then engage slowly and engage with compassion and engage in a way that allows you to say, um, we, can do, we, can, we can do this together. We will go slowly. Do you want me to go talk to somebody first? Do you want me to talk to a rov? Do you want me to talk, figure out which doctor we should go to? I can come with you, or I don't have to come with you. Do you need somebody who can guide you better? Maybe there's an organization, one of the organizations have male mentors who can guide him on this process. It's maybe demystifying some of the process or making it a little bit less panicky. Um, there, to me, when I hear that, because there's such a passion to create children, if it isn't a halachic reason, and it purely comes down to fear or anxiety or whatever, then there's something else that I need to treat right? If I'm terrified of going to the doctor because I had a history of sexual abuse or child abuse or whatever, and going to the medical, going to get medical treatment is a trip. I'm back. I'm, I'm experiencing PTSD. I have to treat that emotionally, right? Like I have to go to a therapist. I have to go to trauma therapist and work through what's preventing my ability to get to the physical medical treatment because going to medical care and going into medical treatment is I, there's no other word for it it's embarrassing it's difficult it's humbling it can be traumatizing I mean we're not this is not pretty even if they're the best socks in the whole wide world for the women the feet are up in the stirrups half the time and everybody's talking about private parts and for the man he's being asked to produce a sample in a way that you know for many for the men we've been we've been halakhically guided not to do this for your entire life and you are being told no no now you need to do that. Right? If you're asking him to turn off an entire portion of his brain and knowledge. So there's trauma in that. Let's acknowledge how un- not only uncomfortable it is, but it could be traumatizing, right? And so just being respectful and compassionate and helping him move forward in like bite-sized, like tiny little pieces incrementally until hopefully we can get him to the place he needs to be.
0: Uh, thank you. I'm just gonna add more. I'm gonna ask, push that question a little further is Okay, and so now if the, you're saying if the person won't go for medical, then we need to address it from a mental pers- um, health perspective. And what happens if the husband doesn't want to do that either? I don't want to. Right.
2: I think then we call in the experts. Like you have to call in a Rav. You have to call in your mashfiya You gotta be vulnerable and share. And you have to say, I have a problem and I need help. Um, can I tell you that that always is effective? No. And then we have a problem because, you know, are we prepared to stay? I mean, that's, this is a dramatic, drastic end of the like, end of story. But like, do we stay in a marriage where a spouse is refusing to get care, treatment or help? It's, you know, that's, that's a very complicated hashkafik Shaila. It's a Shaila. It's, um, but unfortunately sometimes relationships do end when one spouse says, I'm not getting help, but it could be something on like addiction. It could be, it could be on any topic. Infertility is no different. I'm not willing to get help means that I'm stuck in a marriage that I didn't sign up for in which there is, there was hope and you're not allowing us to access the hope. Like we can do this together. I'm willing to do this together with you. That makes sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you know, okay. I'm going to, I I wanna thank everyone for being here today. And um, as I said before, technically tomorrow, 24 hours, you will get a recording. Part one last year addressed a lot of these concepts in full, and you can access that at mcfo.org forward slash mall forward slash rentals. For those who weren't here at the beginning, I'm going to remind you again that if you join our broadcast, 7325342948, you'll know about all all of our events that come up. Um, We also have a podcast with many different topics. Feel free to check that out, mcfo.org forward slash audio. It's on Spotify. It's on Google. It's on CastBox. It's on Anchor. It's on Apple go ahead, subscribe. That helps other people find it as well. Um, I'd like to thank Dvora. Thank you so much for all of your incredible insights today. I think they are relevant to every marriage. Um, and um, and I'd like to thank Etel for being so instrumental in bringing all of this together. Um, Etel, I'd like to bring you to the screen um, for any closing comments. So thank you. Thank you, Mick,
1: for the org and for creating a space for us. Um, And to all those who joined, I hope that at minimum, you heard one thing that will make you slightly lighter tonight. And to realize how complex this all is, there are so many facets, there's so much. However, we are lucky in the firm world. We have so many places to go to, from, from a friend to a Mashpia to a Rav, to organizations from every level. And there is stuff out there, so just don't do it alone. Thank you,
0: Dvorah, anything you would like to
2: close with? Just, I, I, pre, I, you know, I think that ultimately the goal is to feel seen and to feel heard, right? That each of you should know that we see you, we might not see you vir- virtually on the screen, but we see you emotionally. We know that you are with us because you're hurting and um, and we're with you. We see you, we know that you're hurting and we wish that we could let you, like, like Ethel says for just a moment, if we can lighten the load just a little bit tonight, then we will have accomplished something incredibly important.
0: Okay, and so thank you all for attending. And with that, I will say good night. Good night, everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day.